So what is a human being? What is a human being? That seems like an easy answer, or an easy question, I'm sorry. It's profound though, in many ways, it seems basic. How would you answer that? How would you answer what is a human being? What would you tell your children? What would you tell your children? We're probably not as clear on that every day as we should be. We probably don't have a good enough, and I know I don't have a good enough of answers I should. Uh, tell you what, I go to uh, middle school basketball games, and I'm not sure we know what human beings are. <laughs> but I see what happens there in the parents and what goes crazy. Maybe we don't know what human beings are. It's a fundamental, important question. Very, very fundamental. And, um, uh, and so we're going to answer that question going in uh, to our series, uh, as we head into our series that we'll begin in February on the attributes of God. It seemed appropriate, in my mind, that before we looked at God, we would be, we would be clear on who we are. And so as we come to God, as we look at Him with the remaining part of the, the semester, we'd be clear about that. But I don't know about you, the whole time that this came to mind, but there's a song since I've been preparing it in my mind. It's from the 80s. Uh, I'll sing it for you. It says, if you know, young people Flesh and blood are made. You don't know? I'm only human. What's the word? Born to make mistakes. You don't know that song? Okay, that's from the 80s. I'm sorry. I landed terrible. But uh, it's a song by the, if you can name the group, I'll give you 100 bucks right now. Don't move. But anyway, uh, it was the Human League. It was a famous song. I'm only human. That's the name of our series. I'm only human, okay? And here's why. In many ways, I think the way we think about humanity, that, that song, by the way, was written over a guy who, a guy wrote that he had cheated on his wife or his girlfriend, and he's like, I'm only human, I'm born to make mistakes. I mean, that's what the song, the, the story of the song is. But it's a phrase that you hear, I'm only human. And usually we use that phrase when something negative has happened or we fall short. We, we're not perfect. We go, well, nobody's perfect. Or we say, I'm only human. And maybe sometimes, I'm not a machine, I'm only human. And we look at it from a negative point of view. I really think that many people today, maybe us included within the church, have a negative view of human beings. By nature, some of the reason, it could be argued, maybe, that we want to live in the country and we want to live in the small towns to get away from all the human beings. I'll hear pastors go and say, I've loved church if it wasn't for Christians. Probably have a negative view of humans in many ways. What I hope that we'll do in this series is that you'll realize that they're more glorious than we are, than you are, than we are. Human beings are glorious. <coughs> but at the same way, same same thing, we're also the opposite, the other ditch. If that's one side of the road, you swerve in that ditch. Maybe the other, the other side of the road, the other ditch, is we think way too highly of ourselves. The humanistic view, the humanism, by that worldview of humanism, says that man human beings are at the center of the universe, that we are the humans, are the sun that all the planets rotate around. And the human beings are the solution to everything. And let me just say, you may lie more than that, but my guess is if you're like me, part of your problem this past week over the holidays and you fall below the ball without you. Or you feel so much pressure that you think you're the solution of the human being to everything. 
And so one sense of what it means to be a human being, I hope we walk away in this four or five weeks we have before we get to God. It's more glorious than we know to be a human being, but it's also, we're also uh, not God. And we have to learn that and to walk in that and to see that we've learned. So I, um, we'll come in today and we'll begin by looking at two, um, attributes or two truths about human beings, and there it is from our Genesis passage. Now listen, we're just going to be in Genesis 1, 26-31 here, we'll spring around in Genesis. Most of what we'll do and define human beings will be from Genesis. And the way we think about Genesis, theologically and biblically, is that really the first 11 chapters or 12 chapters of Genesis, which I love to study, you can understand the whole world through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So we're going to look in Genesis and see where we are, and let's just land on that, that we... Um, that human beings um, are more glorious than we know, but we're not God. And maybe you feel that pressure, and maybe you need to be lifted up. I don't know what it is. Uh, we'll look at two things. We'll look at we're created, and then we're image bearers. We're created, and we're image bearers. All right, let me pray. God, as we come to your word this morning, to think about these basic truths of what it means to be a human being, I pray that you would shape us, you reorder our minds and our hearts, would you lift us up or bring us down <laughs> whatever needs to happen and Lord I pray that we would be shaped by you and who we are and we would experience the glory of that and the freedom of that and the beauty of that today from your word that we might even sing what we sang at the very beginning, glory, glory, glory to you to you in the highest Lead us to that place and help us to get there. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So the first thing, what it means to be human being, be a human being is to be created. We'll see in our passage there. Um, then God said, let us make it. So he did by verse 27. So he created man in his own image. He said, let us make them. He spoke it. Now, by the way, he spoke the world into existence. How did you, how did human beings come into existence? He, he, he speaks and, you know, well, we were spoken to that, but then he takes uh, man and he takes some dirt from the man and then he takes the woman from Genesis 2 from his rib. And so God is creating things from nothing. And that's sort of the one of the profound things. So you and I were created beings. And that seems so fundamental. And um, But here's, here's the point. If you're created, which is what we are, then the creator defines what the creation is. Say that again. The Creator, the one who makes us, defines what we are. So let me say it another way. To figure out who you are and who I am will not come from inside of us. It doesn't come internally. To arrive at who we are and be clear about that, it must come externally. We need an external reality to tell us what we are. We're created. And we need to go to the Creator to do that. Now, when you look here in the passage, without getting into it, we will be here for, for the whole five or six weeks springboarding from this passage. But it comes from, and look at everything that God is doing. He is, he has given them a position. This is going to be above the animals. He's given them a purpose. He's defining the place where they are. Everything is being defined by God, not by man. And so what it means to be created is it mean to be defined by the Creator. 
That's what it means. So I'll put a, um, a little uh, gadget here on the screen. You'll see last Christmas, not this Christmas, Hadley for one of my presents was this little gadget. It's a, uh, I have it on my keychain. I like gadgets. I guess I'm a guy, whatever, and kiss it on. So this is, um, it goes on your keychain, it looks like a key, right? And so you'll see it there, it's multi. Key wall. It looks like you can put it in ignition. It looks like a key. And how in the world are you to know what this thing does? It actually has 24 tools on it. 24. I can't name them all to you right now. I'm still trying to figure out what it's made for. I haven't used them all. I think it's just the idea of it. And I just like, she got it. She knew it. Like, I loved it. I have opened up your keys. But some of the tools, there's a screwdriver on the end of it. You can see, you can, there's an inch. You can measure kilometers. And there's a bottle opener. There's a hex, uh, hex wrench in there. There's actually a saw. <laughs> see that? See, you can cut things there with a little saw, little ridges there. I mean, I know you want to see it. Hey, can I see that after service? <laughs> But, you know, <laughs> it's not a key, although it looks like one. Uh, and I, I might use it as a ball mark, um, but that wouldn't be used what it's for. To understand what this thing is actually made for, you have to go to one of the You have to go to the company who made it, and they can tell you. You can actually go to their website, and they'll have 24 little things pointing to all the tools. And um, it's not our job to decide what we are. God has designed that. He created us. Just like this key is designed. You go to the designer for understanding what it is. And so, um, you know, the therapies, therapists are saying that the, the, one of the greatest anxieties right now is decision making, the design, the uh, choices, the anxiety is one of the greatest anxieties. We have unlimited choices, we have unlimited options. I mean, I, you know, um, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, Hadley, my daughter, had a She's fine. She's got to have a new car. I, the main reason I don't want to have to give her another car is because I have many options. We've got to decide what to get her. Before, in old town, small towns, you only had two or three dealers, and you go and say, hey, you have a car we can get. You didn't have the option of every car in the state. And 30 miles, 50 miles, 100 miles, 1,000 miles, depending on how far you want to go. That's stressful. It's choice anxiety. And even now, one of the most fundamental questions people are asking is, who am I? And the world has given you permission to decide whatever you want. It's choice anxiety. But what I want to say is, when you go to the designer, you created, and the one who created you has designed you. And you go to him to find that out. You know, we want to say, you know, the American sort of the autonomous way of the West is to be independent and be self-made and do your own thing. And I want to go away. I want to be, <laughs> I want to uh, just rule my life and be autonomous and decide everything for myself. I'll decide. And you think that you just, you be you. And you be you and you think you'll be fine. If you just decide who you are, what you are, in a way you'll be fine. But you know what? You will not be fine. You will be miserable. Because what it means to be you means you're created. And by nature, you need a definition to be spoken to from outside of you to define you. We need an external truth, an external reality, a God to tell us who we are. That's how we're made. And what a relief. So uh, just to even argue for the point of external, you, you know that this is true in your life and mine. But we were just at the New Year's conference for Campus Outreach. And Brittany and I just traveled back this morning from Indianapolis, and we were there. Our Campus Outreach staff, Tyler and Annie and Cam and their wives and families were here, were up there. Brittany, I think it's okay to share this. She sees Annie, who, dear Annie, who's a member here and laboring hard uh, at Center College, and she over the, she is a faithful laborer there. And 
has we gone into areas of that campus and tried to proclaim the gospel to sororities, and she's not a sorority girl. That doesn't sound like a big girl, but that sounds a lot of place to go if you're not a sorority girl. I mean, she is out there, and she was with students the whole time. And Brittany just walked up to her and said, I have seen you grow in the last two or three years. I am, I am so encouraged by your life and your faith and all that you're turning into. And trust in God for it. And walking through a hotel lobby, she begins to weep. You know what her sweet words were? She says, she started crying. She said, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize how much I needed to hear that. Even if inward, she needed someone from the outside to affirm and to save and the benediction. Even God himself, the first thing he said about Jesus Christ when he was baptized there with John the Baptist, he said, this is my son in the world please. A benediction over his son from the outside. And just as it is to be created, we need to be created means Something outside of us, the one who created us, decides and tells us who we are and what we are. So here's the implications for that. And just relief. I hope you're relieved that you don't have to figure that out. There's relief in that. There's no choice anxiety in that. And you may forget who you are often, as often as I do. And that one of the first things to remember is that I'm a created being. And I go to the one who designed me and created me to understand who I am. And there's also just great humility with that one thought. That there's a creator, and I'm not him. You know, human beings are creative, but we don't create anything. We know that the law of science says that no matter can be created or destroyed. We are creative, and we're able to bring ideas, but everything that we use to be created with was given to us, because we don't create something out of nothing. God does. And so we're humbled. He's the creator, and we're not. There's great humility and relief in that, and a place to go. So may you breathe that in this morning. Yeah. And secondly, if we're created, what does it mean to be human? First, it means to be created. That seems simple, but it's profoundly rich for our souls. And secondly, it's to be an image bearer. And there's just three ways from our passage I want to highlight. What does it mean? That we're going to define what it means to be an image bearer. But the prominence and the position, and the, um, the prominence, the position, and the purpose of being an image bearer. And so, um, so as we come into this passage, this is the climax of the six days of creation and of animal human life. And the term image uh, applies, and notice here, it's applied to the male and the female equally. He said, let us, and so the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, says, let us make man in our image. He makes them both male and female. So both are made in their image. Now, let me just pause right there and say, if you, were, if you were hearing the words of Moses for the first time reading the Pentateuch of any person, only at this point in history, in ancient history, did they think that most peoples and slaves thought that only the, God, the kings were connected to God. Only the emperors were connected to God. And at this point, if you were a woman, you were even lower on that because they were property to be thought of as an image bearer of God. There was no way. So most men, other than the kings, would have thought, I'm not, there's no way that I am uh, I, I'm an image bearer. That's the only language for the emperors. They're connected to gods. That was Roman gods and false gods. But even, even within, to hear it, to live in that time and place, to hear, wait a minute, every single person is made in the image of God. Male and female, notice the equality there. Different, but made in the image of God. The Mago Dei is what it means in Latin. You've heard that. And so it means that it's not that you and I, what it means to be an image bearer, it doesn't mean that God looks like us in human form. God is spirit. Although he has dwelled in human form, he is a spirit. It's not that he uh, has the exact look of us. What it means is this, is that we are, um, 
that, that, the, uh, that it means that we have uh, understanding, creativity, intelligence, holiness, wisdom, love, compassion, and all of the life, all these attributes of God we maintain different than the rest of creation. That we're given communicable attributes of intelligence and knowledge and spiritual understanding and compassion and holiness and justice. And, um, and those who breathe in us when God made us. So we are image bearers. So what we do is that particular nature of God we reflect in. So uh, up until this point in the scriptures, in the creation story, it had been according to their kind. It would say it made the, uh, the birds of the air according to their kind. It repeats that phrase according to their kind ten times in the first chapter. And But when it gets to hear to human beings, that rhythm is broken. It doesn't use the phrase their kind. It shifts to God. And so I want you to see the prominence of this. Number one, the prominence is that God in the language is using something that would be lifting up his people. That they are the kings. And we're going to look next week at what it means to be a king and not be God. That we do have the rule and there's a function of this king that we're sort of made uh, before God. There's lots of kingly sort of ruling language in this. But I just want you to see that we are image bearing. God breaks the mold in this pattern. And um, and uh, and, and he does this throughout the Bible. In Luke uh, chapter 3, Adam is referred to as the son of God. Uh, in Acts 17, which says that you are, you are God's offspring. James chapter 3, which tells us that you and I were made in the likeness of God. So the idea here is that uh, the prominence of it is incredible. And, and we believe that the creation story is crescendoing and finishing with man as the crown of creation, as mankind. So there's a prominence in this. It's going, verse 31, and at the end, God looked at it, and he looks at the whole creation. Most commentators think that he's saying very good, that he says very good because he's finished the whole creation, but it's also because man is now in the presence of his creation in verse 31. Now, this is very, very prominent to God. How big a deal this is to God? Well, over in Genesis 9, after the flood with Moses, there, look at Genesis 9, verses 5 through 6, as they come off the ark, and this, God says this, for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. You see that? I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of a man by man shall in his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. You see that God says, I will reckon with people who murder image bearers. So what's the problem with murdering? Because it attacks an image bearer. And this is the crown of creation, the one that God says, this is different, and they bear my image. So the worst thing about murder is that it attacks. Not only is the human being killed and life is taken, but it attacks an image bearer that God has a place infinite worth to. And so he assigns that to them in James 3, 9. And we, we bless our Lord and Father, and what James said, and we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So it's a big deal to God for us in any way to attack an image bearer. That should be a common language in your family. Listen, remember, as you yell at one another, we are talking to image bearers of God. Hudson, remember Xander's an image bearer of God. Have to remember your mom is an image bearer of God. And her worth has been defined by the one who's created her. So what it means to be an image bearer of God means that every single human being, this is the implication of this doctrine, every single human being in the world, an implication reflects God. It's a, it's a reality that is irreducible, it's rock solid, it's objective, and that you, if you are a human being, have worth and value because you are in the image of God. 
This is something that cannot be changed. Think about how much we scramble to feel like we have value in life. Everything that you do in your life, trying to you create value and worth in your relationships and places that you go. And yet, just by the very nature of being a human being, you're made in the image of God. You have been declared to have infinite worth to God. Because you bear his image. Every single person. What this also means is if that is true, the promise of that, then we must treat people We've got to learn to walk into every room, into every place, into every middle school basketball place, no matter how they're acting, no matter where we look, no matter what color, what height, what shape, what personality, what anything we walk in, we should walk in and say, we must be made in the image of God, made in the image of God, made in the image of God, made in the image of God. And they have profound worth. Listen, the secular humanistic view is trying to say that human beings that have, what is the definition of a human being? The, the secular view is this, it's one that can offer and have, have offer value to the race, those that can, that can think and have ability to process and define and bring things to the human race. That's what we say. That it's our intelligence, and that's what makes you human, and this is what makes you have value. And, and listen, that makes you somewhat human, but that's not what makes a human being valuable. If that were the case, then a toddler has no purpose. They offer nothing to the race. That's why we speak against abortion. Because the value of the, of the child and the woman, and the value of those who have abortions and who have who are treated like the scum of the earth because they've had, they've, they've they've had an abortion. I mean, to every human being, their worth is not what they bring to offer the human race. It's because their value has been bestowed upon them by the one who created them. So, Grace Church, as every individual, would you begin to see the prominence of this truth? in your life, that you today, your worth is not earned, your value is not produced, your value has been declared and given to you by the Creator of the world. So then notice that the, um, the position that God places the image bearer, notice in verse 5, or verse 26, five times, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over the earth that's over. That we're not animals. We're above the animals. Okay? And we're going to look at that in the future. But notice the position is that we're above the animals. We are not just animals. It would be the same way of saying that, well, that's a key. It looks like a key. walks like a key. No, this has been designed for something far greater. There's 24 things different about this. It's not a key. It actually won't do that. That's sometimes what we say, well, you're just, you're just flesh and blood. Therefore, you're just like the animals. You eat and drink. No. There's a difference. Why? Because God has established and made it. He designed it. So they're over them. We're above them. And then the kingly language which I've been led us in humankind uh, that we were, they were raised up. But then notice, uh, notice how uh, the position of this is that God is that God thinks for them and God loves them and he provides for them. Notice, look, he 
He immediately, verse 29, says, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is the face of the earth. And in verse 20 and 30, he said, He gave them plants. And then we later learned that it was not good for man to be alone. So he gave him a woman. It wasn't good to be alone. God, this particular creature, us human beings, that he has made, they're in his image. He's thinking for, giving to, setting parameters, creating a temple called the garden for him to dwell and be with him. Do you see that? That the position is that of dearness to God. And he, we learn in Genesis 2, breathes life. position is that of great value to God. And lastly, the purpose under an image bearer. And, um, you know, over the years, the two I have liked the most, what does it mean to be an image bearer? What is the purpose that comes from being an image bearer of God? And uh, there's a lot of functional purposes that we're going to look at, work, family, all kinds of aspects of being human. But we're just, just in general, from the sort of 30,000 uh, view, a level view, um, reflection and representation of a way to think about uh, the purpose of the human being. Reflection and representation. And um, image bearing in words when you get into those in the likeness of God. Mirror really is a word that's helpful from the Hebrew to sort of understand it. And I like the idea of a mirror. And uh, But a good illustration of what I think about it is uh, we are to bear the image. One of our purposes is to bear the image of God everywhere we go. And he wanted the earth to be full of these images. He wanted to be all of them, all kinds of places. And what does it mean? So that if you take a mirror, you have done it as a kid, and you sort of put it on the sun, and you shine in somebody's light. They used to do that all the time. You get in trouble in school, right? Where you take it in the glare. But a mirror, in some sense, has to, the mirror is not the sun. It has to actually face the sun in order to be, to reflect the sun. But once it does reflect it, it's not only just reflecting back to the sun. The mirror, if you do it correctly, will have an appearance of the sun in it, and it reflects and it touches and affects the place that it goes. And in essence, that's what we do, is we as human beings, we learn to face God and to keep facing Him in a way that we sort of turn and we bear His image and what He's like and how we live and rule and relate and do all the things that human beings do. But in a sense, when we work, we have to learn how to work in a way that bears the image of God. When we parent, which is in the Bible, that's one of the purposes of human, when we create families, when we, whatever we do, we have to learn to do it and we're bearing the image of Christ. Bearing that of the King. And, um, and so that's it. The other aspect of that is just um, in representation, we'll come out a little bit more. So. Um, it's, it's really a cool kind of representation of the king. It's like an ambassador. So we're reflecting that everywhere that we go uh, as image bearers of God, we, we bring the presence and reverence of God. We'll talk about that more in the future. So, um, now it seems simple that we're just supposed to bear the image of God, but what we know, and you know, is that we don't bear the image as we should. And the, um, the reality is, why? Why do we not bear the image of God? Well, it's because we're all broken images. Sin has come into the world through Adam. And in us, the, the God's image is broken. It's a broken mirror in many ways. And you know, and so as you look at a broken mirror, if you walk up really close to a mirror, you can, it's broken, you can sort of find a sliver of the mirror that you might find a good reflection. But the whole image is sort of distorted in some way because it's broken. And that's what sin has done to us. 
his brokenness. And, um, and we don't, and so why do we trample upon other image bearers? Because we're broken as image bearers and we're going to want to trample on those around us. But here's the hope. That was why Christ came. If you're a, the reason he came is because we were, when we, he came because we were broken images. He came to restore us back to be what we were made to be. In fellowship and image and facing him. But we can't face him anymore because of our sin. We can't face him in the way, in the intimate way we were supposed to. So Jesus came. Do you know what Jesus said about Jesus in Colossians 1 and 6 when he became? You know, Jesus Christ is the image of the Lord God. In Hebrews 1 3, we learn that he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus himself, when he came, was an exact so where do we look now as broken images? We look to the one who came and was in humanly form, in real body form, and lived rightly what it meant to be the image of God on this earth. It's unbelievable. I've always been fascinated by 2 Corinthians 3.18. And this is where Paul is talking to Corinth. He says, we all with unveiled faces. And I think that means there, unveiled faces, that now that we can understand, we've our hearts, we've been regenerated, and we're now Christians. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The very nature of what it means to be a Christian, if I would just put it in chain terms here, is to look at the image bearer, Jesus, who saved us. As we look at him, he renovates us, or he is re-transforming us back into image bearers. He's renovating our brokenness. Glory to glory. But one day, we'll be fully restored. That's what we pray. So how should we respond um, to that? Um, here's what I'll just offer as we offer the new year. Uh, go back and think, just a good application would be, just what does define you? What have you allowed to define you? Have you... Or have you let God define who you are? What is it in your life that you're allowing to define you? Is it a person? Is it a performance track? Is it um, the thoughts of, uh, of, of a group of people? What is defining you? And then uh, the next two couple of questions. That how do I bear the image of God in the areas of my life? Now, um, that's a good way to think about moving to the new year. It, it, as you think of the different components, how do I bear God's image? In this area of my life. And how am I doing it? That's a good way to think about it as we look forward. And then lastly, I would want you to respond in this way. Is to behold Christ. And notice I put there in the scriptures. Behold Christ in the scriptures. If he's the image that we need to look to, then he's the one transforming us uh, from glory to glory. As we look to him, we have to look to him in the scriptures. Scriptures are the plumb line. It is, it is where the, the truth of who God is and who you are. We found out about what we're created this morning and that we're image bearers from the Word of God. And listen, people aren't handling, more and more I talk to Christians and I go to conferences around and I ask them, what are you learning? Rarely do people that I hear the idea of people being in the Bible a whole lot. And I'm thankful we're doing that here. But the Bible is the place that Jesus is most revealed to us. And therefore, we can learn what it means to be image bearers of God and be restored. So may we look to that.
and may it win our hearts. May the image bearer that came, not only was the perfect image bearer, but he, in his perfection, he also laid down his life. God, would you help us to uh, sing in response to this as we turn to the new year? God, I pray that um, that you would uh, make it 